0: Psychedelic science is exploding, and we talk to people at the forefront. So cut through the noise, converse with the vanguard, this is Mind Manifest. Hi there, and welcome along to the Mind Manifest podcast. I'm your host, Niall Campbell. My guest today is Michelle Baker-Jones. Michelle is an integrative psychotherapeutic counsellor in private practice based in London. She is also a member of Imperial College's Psychedelic Research Team. Michelle is a lead guide on the current Imperial College Randomised Control Trial, which is comparing psilocybin to antidepressants as a form of treatment for depression. We recorded this chat prior to the pandemic, just in case you're wondering why it didn't come up, but maybe that's no bad thing. Our thumbs and minds are sore from terror scrolling, and so consider this your time machine back to a simpler time. Let's call it a prescribed break from all things COVID. So please enjoy and I will, as always, see you on the other side. I'm joined by Michelle. Thank you so much for um, having me here in Kingston of Montaigne.
1: You're welcome. Happy to be
0: here. (laughs) Um, So we were just chatting a little bit off off mic about how... um, there's lots of people in this space from various different backgrounds. How did you come to be involved in, in psychedelic psychedelic research?
1: Um, so it's a kind of convoluted long story, but um, I think a friend of mine um, who knew Ben Sessa, she was a doctor called Michelle, um, because I, was, I think I was being quite anti-traditional, uh, medication or antidepressants she said I should speak to Ben Sessa and um, I think I did email Ben Sessa and he said if I'm interested in psychedelics I should go to breaking convention so I think about five years ago or six I went to breaking convention and at that point I, I was also I'm you know I'm a therapist so I was also had my therapeutic training and after that year of breaking convention, I was like, hmm, psychedelics, therapy, of course, it's it's a perfect match. Um, And I kind of left feeling that you could train to be a psychedelic therapist, and it was something that was viable, but I wasn't really quite sure how you did that. Um, So I went to a talk with David Nutt, and then at the end of that talk, I kind of went with real intention of, right, I'm going to become a psychedelic therapist and um, literally had 10 minutes with David Nutt, very fortunate in that he said, well, we're looking for a few more guides on this was SILADEP1, the very first pilot trial. Um, And I was like, oh, great, brilliant. Yeah. And I kind of thought, wow, this is amazing. And my first email kind of went into the ether, into tumbleweed. I sent a second email and then got cc'd into everybody who, who was basically working on the current trial. So I um, sat with two participants on SiloDep 1 as a co-guide and I've been kind of with the team ever since really. So mm-hmm. it was very fortunate and not really a route that I can really prescribe to anyone else mm-hmm. apart from being a bit dogged and determined.
0: Mm. I think in the early days of any... Forming, entity, industry, whatever way you want to put it, uh, the sort of the best credential you can have potentially is dogged, you know, dogged pursuit of yeah. being involved, and uh, maybe that's how it should be because it shows that you know when you go into the rooms with other people involved, whether it be silent one or the current trial, that everyone's have their own. St- that seems to be the homogenous, you know, <laughs> undergirding of everyone's story, and that I pursued this doggedly yes because i wasn't s- satisfied with what was what was available, available.
1: yeah sure
0: for, so the the term siledept 1 maybe if we could unpack that for listeners and and give us a bit of a timeline how how we how we get from there to here
1: so silodep 1 um i think was 250 uh, 2015 16 and it was the pilot trial to really test dosage and um to if if psilocybin would be effective as a treatment for anti-depression and um, so in that trial each participant would be guaranteed a low dose of 10 milligrams and then a high dose of 25 milligrams mm-hmm. so it's different to the trial now that we're we're undertaking which is a randomized control trial exploring it's kind of comparing It's a mechanism trial, so it's comparing psilocybin to a traditional antidepressant. But that that first trial, I mean, it took a lot longer, it was a lot slower, so it was basically just to see whether psilocybin could be effective and working out dosage.
0: So um, that 2015 trial, it sort of aims at, okay, is this safe and potentially viable? is Is this avenue of future research you know, valid is it yeah. worth pursuing? I suppose yeah. that's the question. That that's answering.
1: sure. Though I mean, to be fair, it was all done before in the nineteen fifties sure. and sixties. But yeah. yeah, I suppose it's as if we're starting again. Again, and
0: yeah. Um, I'm wondering what was the um, mood in camp in two thousand fifteen? Because when people when I've heard people from other areas talk about, I've got to do a safety and efficacy study. Mm. Um, even though we feel we have like reams of previous re- decades of previous research and and even longer e- ecological data that these things are mm. safe. Is there a certain amount of acceptance or frustration or, or impatience? I'm wondering what the, what the tone was and the feeling tone was in 2015 when you were going through something, answering a question that you maybe thought you already had mm. an answer to.
1: Well, I suppose, I think we were all very optimistic, but incredibly diligent and careful and obviously really not wanting to, you know, f- to have some serious adverse events happen, Um, yes, but it did, you know, there was some kind of optimism and electricity in the air of this could potentially be a game changer, you know, so yeah, that definitely was part of, um, yeah, the team, yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, whenever, so what was your first time you sat like someone for in in that context, that must have been quite a moment?
1: Um, Yes, it. It, it, yeah, it was interesting because obviously I didn't answer the question. <laughs> how many times have you done this before? Fortunately, my co-guide was very experienced. So it was with James Rucker who is um, running the King's College trial as well. So he'd already sat with quite a few people. So I kind of followed his lead and was very much just being a calm, you know, using all my therapeutic training to just be a calm presence and creating a rapport with the participant, which, you know, went incredibly well. But I very, I very much was tracking his lead. And so much of it is just being that warm presence and creating, you know, that air of trust between you and the participant. Mm. But, yeah, I was quite nervous, I have mm. to say, but trying to keep my cool. <laughs> <It's>
0: like, uh, <laughs> the way I imagine it, it's like, a uh, this one part of you is like, yeah, wanting to hold space and, and mm. knowing all exactly mm. the way that you want it to be, but there's another part which is probably like, kid on Christmas morning. Yes. <laughs> we, yeah. we, there's a sort of excitement and, and, and anxiety. Yeah. yeah, that's how do you um, how do you manage that balance? How do you reconcile those two energies when you're when you're selling for people now?
1: Well, now I'm obviously a, a lot more experienced and. Um, you know we do as a team we often do 10 minutes meditation before we enter the space and we're very focused on presence and and i think because of the dynamics of the team we feel very solid together you know we've we've worked together and we've built up dynamics that feel safe um so yeah i think um and we all kind of really enjoy each other's company so i think there's something something great uh, and um What's very interesting about our current team is that it is largely female. So we have Johnny, um, the doctor, who sits with us a lot, and we have co-guides like Greg who come in and a few other therapists that come in. But yes, it is quite unusual in that respect, I think, that we are predominantly a female team with the clinical lead being Roz, Roz Watts. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on... Uh, the day out in terms of in, in a therapy setting for for setting for people.
1: Um, so I I do think it's important that um, you feel comfortable with each other, that we're you, you know a united front. Um, and on the whole, we have we do have the lead therapist. So often I will be the lead therapist, and the co-therapist will follow. My lead and and there, there are i mean there are f- very few instances where I feel like the co guide has you know I suppose the important part is that we are developing and creating the presence for the participant and that we don't get we don't open things up or, or satisfy our own curiosity about what 's happening and the experience is very much encouraging the participant to go go back in and and being able to track whether they need extra support or because you're always working that out obviously in an altered state it's very different and because they have eye shades on and and the headphones we're we're just kind of looking at their body language and having to kind of gauge how near or far they want us so we hold hands initially to for the ascent of the experience so that they feel safe because I think safety is really paramount as long as we the way we describe it is often we're the cabin crew, and we're just trying to h- here to make you feel comfortable and safe, but you're going on the journey, but if you get stuck you know if there's a bit of turbulence or if you feel a bit distressed, then we can be here with you to breathe through or you know make something bigger if if, if there's you know like body if there's tensions in the body sometimes we'll be like well, stay with that, go into it, make it say yes to it you know so often I mean, some of the mantras we use are in and through and we, you know, we do extensive prep to prepare people for sitting with their, because it's a trial for depression for sitting with their pain, going towards those challenging experiences and going in and through them rather than avoiding them because resistance or panic will then escalate and maybe create um, what people would probably term as a challenging, well, we we don't say bad trip, but we say challenging experience. But um, for us, it's very much just surrendering to the experiences when you get the most out of it. And it's kind of fostering um, bravery and curiosity around your intra-psychic world, your inner world, Mm. that's really important.
0: Um, On the point of the uh, supporting the you know physically supporting yeah. the, the client um, the, the participant should i say uh, again we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. but there's a how much do you think that can and should be somewhat codified i'm imagining you know any organize any entity within the nhs that is involved in the care of people mm-hmm. there's obviously there's there is an, an art to for example yeah. helping an elderly person in to a, a chair and yeah. comforting them if they have dementia, but there mm. there would be protocols that underlie that. You know, this is where you can and can't touch people and things like that. Yeah. The codification, if it if this trial is hopefully successful, of how people sit. <laughs> what what are the things that personally you have learned? Like, are there things that you brought in about how to sit for someone that were assumptions that have been corrected by experience or is there anything that's changed in the way that you would sit now versus when you did mm. in 2015?
1: Well I suppose maybe um, unlike traditional therapy where it's very much um, you know you sit back and there's no real, real physical contact um, Contact. Um, we definitely you know see the hand holding as, as incredibly important to I think to relax people to think to allow people to go in deeper um there's something about having the anchor of the hand i mean it's a non we say it's a non romantic handhold you know, so it's not um you know and occasionally we because the people have noise cancelling headphones, we have to put a hand on their shoulder, mm-hmm. but also, I think there is a case if if somebody is in a very regressed state and they want to hug or they need something like that, I think in that instance it would be probably really awful to refuse, because they're in such, you know, a heightened, repressive state. Maybe, you know, we've become their parents for them in that, that, and it could be a hugely reparative moment. So if if there was a sense that someone really needed a bit more, then I think it would be kind of detrimental not to provide that. I mean, there aren't many instances where it has happened, but if I felt that was needed, then you know obviously it would be a judgment call in the in the moment but i think it would be um it could be experienced as cruel and maybe traumatic not to mm-hmm. to give that
0: mm-hmm. that's um quite a responsibility to hold yeah. on your shoulders of yeah. basically being a momentary distillation of an mm. archetypal related relationship yeah
1: sure yeah
0: um have you had any instances um where people have reported back and obviously we're very conscious about from any of the trials that you've been involved with we're very conscious about de-identifying people but in any way that you can is there have there been any anecdotes or stories where a uh let's call it a little momentary intervention has been really positive for clients that you've worked with you know they say oh that that hug or that time you you know held my hand was was really helped me to
1: um, I think we've had quite a few that have said the hand-holding was really useful and really helped and that they reflected back that, you know, I mean, there are instances when we weren't so near, but just them knowing we were there was incredibly... M- made them feel incredibly safe. So we've definitely have had f- instances, and we have had one instance um, which we didn't realise until the day of the dosing where a participant kind of reflected back to us that, in fact, she really doesn't like touch in any way whatsoever. So we had to, you know, respect that. And it was... And I think, actually, on the second dosing, we... I suggested, because I felt she didn't go as deeper, and through the interactions afterwards, because we have follow-up calls, I suggested, well, maybe we could try the hand-holding, even though I know it feels like it's something you really don't like. Um, And she she did agree to it. Um, I think she went a bit deeper, but um, still I think there was you know, inherently a reluctance to fully, um, fully trust us. And she did say after the second dosing that if there was a third dosing, she feels that she could completely kind of allow us to support her. So, yeah. you know, and, it, and it, it takes time for everybody to get to that space. So, you know, so two dosings is you know for some it's perfect but for others others will need more so mm. and i think you know for that participant she would have needed maybe one more
0: maybe more um again, what are your thoughts on um the framing for uh, ceremonies let's call them like this That, to my ear that su- suggests that uh, and this maybe is my best, but like almost like a residential model where people can feel the space, whereby okay, I will take another dose if I need it mm. to have to to know that it doesn't have to be. No, the change doesn't have to be this. Yes. I, I, uh, I think that's a paradoxical uh, a lot yeah.
1: of the time. Yeah, uh, uh, and we and we do very much frame it as this. <laughs> this is a journey, a beginning of a journey. Please don't expect yourself to be magically cured by. Mm-hmm. These two experiences, I mean, for some people, it is enough. you know it can be hugely transformative, and that 's often around whether they 've had a kind of mystical type experience or ego dissolving experience, but for others it's it's the beginning of a journey um, and we very much try to frame it that way and I think in the future it, you know I think potentially for something like depression, severe depression. Ideally, you could have potentially up to six sessions through a year with therapy alongside And so there's no pressure that you have to do it all now and you've got this one opportunity and and, you know That's just the limitations of a clinical trial really
0: Um,
1: but um, Yeah, so that that can put undue pressure because so much of the experience is about letting go of expectations and just seeing seeing what unfolds and what it what emerges and the integration obviously is is really key to whether the changes stick, you know, because you have this opening, this neuroplasticity, but it's the integration and the behaviour changes that will really determine whether you know, you can shift the depression for a lot longer, longer. or, yeah.
0: Um, and have there, is the, is it a totally new body of people that have been recruited or is it from a similar sort of pool of people that you're you're Like where are people coming into this trial from? Is Um, it just through organic spread, word of mouth, or you know, online, or um, so?
1: I think yeah, largely it's online. You know, we Twitter, Facebook. So um, yeah, I mean, and there are some people who are kind of. Interested in psychedelics, and there is, you know, there's a third or at least half who are psychedelic naive and who are Mm. literally just desperate, you know, really just looking for something that might work. Um, I think the the Michael Pollan book has done a lot in terms of sending people our way. It's kind of mainstreamed the the idea of psychedelic therapy. I think
0: Mm -hmm. it almost seems interesting, uh, perhaps because he was known for. A, a, a sort of p- parallel but not mm. a, no, by, by no means identical field, you know, so it's it's mm. it's when someone vouches for something ostensibly, is from a completely different yes. world, I yes. think that gives yeah. it um, and maybe a different demographic. Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, and that's quite a lot of psychedelically naive people on the trial, has it, has it been, is there a what what is the difference between preparing someone who has experienced this before versus versus hasn't is not a bright line
1: mm. well i suppose most of the people if they will have tried psychedelics before will have tried it recreationally so sure. we're still preparing them for um a therapeutic experience which m- many people haven't tried before it's a very different kettle of fish and it's um very much um, again, fostering this attitude of trust between us and them, and bravery and curiosity around their unconscious, their internal world. Um, and um, yes, I think you know, we, we've had quite a few people who will have tried um, psychedelics recreationally. In fact, I had someone last week and he, yeah, the difference between, you know, a therapeutic experience and being encouraged to go towards, as we, we describe them in our visualisation, the spiky oyster shells that, you know, you prise open and the pearl, you know, by staying with your pain, there's the pearl or the insight. So that's very much, we actually... As part of our prep, there's a quite a lengthy visualization we do to encourage people to kind of go into their body, notice their tensions, stay with them and try and see what, what feelings emerge, where they feel them in their body. So we are very much encouraging or, or 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 preparing you know, giving them a framework for for sitting with pain. And and hopefully through sitting with pain they, they realize that that they can, there's something useful in their pain. Their suffering is trying to teach them something. There's a there's a lesson or a message, which which we kind of we talk about all this with the kind of psychoeducation prep, and then we finish with a visualization so that they can have a, a more experiential sense of what the what the psilocybin experience might be like.
0: So that um, being able to sit with pain mm. is something which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to yeah and i'm a bit concerned sometimes being a podcast host at times i have listened to podcasts mm. to distract myself from thinking about yeah. things yeah so um if you're listening <laughs> press pause come on <laughs> sit with the pain blame <laughs> it on us um do you have when you said in and through it made me laugh because on the last well a while a couple of podcasts ago i'd spoken to greg and that was his. His he had quite the uh, baptism fire into the oh, world yes. of psychedelics. The first person that he heard in and through was from was from Bill Richards. Whenever he was, yes. when, when Greg was acting, that he was having a challenging experience tripping. <laughs> Do you have any? terms maybe your colleagues would be best to ask any little aphorisms or terms that you favor in the moment is there anything that comes out
1: um i mean they are very much stolen from the bill richard <laughs> school so we do have trust be open let go okay. um stay with that stay yes to that um so we have you know we have been very fortunate in i think bill richards is very much um the godfather for us in terms of you know, techniques and methods for guiding. We had some training with him. And in fact, yeah, it was Ros and myself that, um, cajoled Greg into doing his, you know, to having mm-hmm. his acting experience, which became very transformative. So mm. you don't need psilocybin. You just need a, a really good therapist mm. who, encouraging you to stay with your pain. Maybe.
0: <laughs> do, do you have, um, any preferred therapeutic, uh, modalities or things mm. you use yourself that are non-psychedelic that, do you find that you're a big fan of, you know, is there anything that you, you would recommend um, to clients regularly? That
1: um, so I suppose my training is integrational, relational. So for me, um, the relationship is, is really key to um, um, my therapeutic orientation. And that's very much just being aware of um, the relationship between me and the clients, their relationships in the world and obviously their their attachments, their um, family relationships. So, um, but I do think, you know, I suppose maybe I do quite like things like Gestalt because it's experiential. So for me, I think sometimes it really doesn't matter on the um, therapeutic orientation of a therapist. It's it's about the relationship um, that you have with you and the client. But it's also the moments that matter are experiential. And what's incredibly hard in traditional therapy is to foster those moments. And psychedelic therapy kind of reliably provides them. So, you know, for me, the shifts that happen in traditional therapy are experiential and they happen because the right conditions have been fostered as in as the trust. And something happens. Maybe some transference gets enacted in the room, and because our relationship is strong enough and robust enough, we can we can look at it and kind of see what's happened. And you know, those those moments of um, transferential enactment are again they're experiential. So those are the moments when you can um, the client can shift in a more substantial way in terms of insights and feelings.
0: So you would. See a parallel between that just let's call it you know traditional talk therapy and mm. and stop me if I'm wrong and yeah. I'm getting you but you know building up almost like digging a well of rapport and trust and good uh-huh. faith yeah which you're then going to leverage to potentially enact some mm. mm-hmm. transferal yeah like scenarios which have that transferal and sort of update yeah. the nature of that yeah and psychedelics offer almost like a more expedient way to yes. do that, yeah. that be a fair, yeah. yeah yeah
1: that's my sense of it that you reliably get the experiential moment and it's often far more embodied than you can often get in a traditional therapeutic encounter unless obviously someone is really enacted they're in the moment and they're really feeling you know that anger towards you or that real um yes but yeah i think that's really what psychedelics offer which is far more powerful so it kind of escalates traditional therapy catalyzes it in a way that's i think that's how i would see it
0: you're listening to the mind manifest podcast i'm your host niall campbell i'm chatting with michelle baker jones one of the lead therapists on the SiloDep trials at imperial college london as an experienced psychedelic therapist, Michelle knows that very profound emotional reactions can occur whilst tripping, and they can often manifest as reenactments and embodiments of felt states. And whilst this brings enormous therapeutic potential and opportunity, it also brings with it risk. So I asked Michelle what she thinks the risks are of such enactment and how they tend to show up in the psychedelic state.
1: I suppose, again, it's boundaries and really, you know, getting to know the person, checking in. So, you know, we do check in to see what their relationships are or their experience of death, of sex, of violence. Because, you know, these are the big issues that may manifest in a heightened state. And, you know, we reassure them that we will, that all these things are normal and natural to be enacted but we will, if we ask them to stop doing anything, that's to protect them and that, it, you know, that they're perfectly safe. So we we very much kind of have to go to the taboo subjects as these these things may arise. You know, you may feel like you're dying and we may say to you, do die, keep going, yeah. stay with that. So... Yeah, we do have to go to... And we we do have to ask them, you know, what's the worst-case scenario? What might happen? What would be really embarrassing for you? Because we need to talk about that because everything's so heightened. Um, You know, and some people will... You know, they will... um, they maybe won't realise what it is. So they may come up with, you know, often it's like, I may lose control of my bladder, which is a very common mm. one. We go, well, that's absolutely fine if that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry about that. But I think, you know, obviously depending how deep the unconscious, you know, I suppose it's around shame, really, how deep, how deep that is, they may not be able to bring that up. And if that gets enacted, then we have to be very careful around shame enactment. And we don't obviously want to... Um, Retraumatized. so and if I suppose knowing somebody's history and Trying to get a sense of what would be really shameful or embarrassing for them mm. um, You know, so we did have somebody who had recently had a kind of an experience and they came back back in and it was quite bumpy and their experience had been really good and then they kind of hit a wall and they Come up against something that was related to shame mm and um, they didn't really want to talk about it. So we we were just very, you know, light touch, kind of respecting the person's experience. And then the next day in integration, um, the chap did go, said, you know, I realise that this is such an opportunity, you know, and he will have a second dosing, and I really want to tell you you know kind of um let you know what came up for me because i realized if i hold this in then the next experience which you know and we we thought that was incredibly brave and that will make the next experience hopefully um you know really useful for him so and 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 often it is because shame is such a relational um experience that you know i feel if we can so many of our shame wounds are made relationally if we can um, and I think the way to heal them is relationally. So just simply him sharing that shame moment, I think w- whether that that's figural at all in the next experience doesn't really matter. I think the fact that he was able to be with us and share that is huge.
0: You know, massive. Yeah. It must be very powerful yeah. to be bear witness yes. to, to, to someone aiming at the filth, the yeah. shame, and, and yeah. diving into yeah.
1: it. Yeah.
0: How do you hold? How do you hold? space for yourself in relation to that
1: Um, I think um, I'm a big fan of um, is it Martin Buber and he talks about the I thou experience and I think those moments are when you it's just two or three human beings being alongside each other and saying that, you know, I I I get you and it's no longer we're the experts and we're here to look after you. It's just we're all in this together. We all suffer from shame. We all feel fundamentally broken at some on some level. And those moments just remind me of how kind of frail and human we all are. And I think, you know, um it, it's it's seeing somebody being so authentic and honest and being able to share that with you. Is it's a privilege, you know, it's it's really moving and, and in those moments I just feel like it, it's a yeah, it's an honor to be alongside someone when they're they're willing to be that open and authentic
0: with you. Just like raw yeah. raw humanity. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, what are people, generally speaking, what are they afraid what are they most ashamed of?
1: Hmm. Well, I think the theme that I don't know whether it's a shame, but I think the theme that keeps coming up is that people just think they're broken and they're not good enough. There's a, such a fundamental theme of or the imposter syndrome that somehow, you know, they're not quite lovable. And, fundamentally and, defective. Yeah, in some fundamentally way. defective. And I think more often than not, the psilocybin experience, they just go, oh, I'm OK. Like I'm not broken, yeah. you know, and that that's like such a common theme. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah, it's really beautiful to, to witness yeah. when when people kind of get that they're not broken mm. because mm-hmm. it's re, you know, and it's it's feeling it. So you may know it intellectually, but when you feel it and then often it's that that kind of facilitates a, a kind of sense of interconnection and connection to others. And um yeah, it's that moment where they, they suddenly can be forward-facing in the world and, and feel less alone and less alienated, which I suppose, you know, is symptomatic of depression. It's feeling disconnected. Yeah. So, f- you know, that sense of I'm not broken, I'm absolutely fine, um, yeah. starts to, you know, has a profound impact. It's
0: a great leveller in a way, mm. isn't it? It's maybe mm. I'm fine, you know, sort of transactional. Analysis. I'm fine, you're fine, yeah. you know. The world's fine.
1: Yes. It, yeah.
0: This is probably not going to win me a lot of friends, but it's, you have to own your tongue. I am seeing a lot of things running alongside psychedelics. Mm. And to my eye, it's projection. Mm-hmm. It's the world's broken.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and my it, first question is, right, okay, fix yourself. And then if you say it's broken... Mm. fix being a low resolution thing I'm concerned that there are projections happening within the the cadre of people that are pushing this forward Mm. Um, it's a common uh, it's a common uh, sort of way of doing things is people will choose causes and goals and say Mm -hmm. you know this is broken and the world is burning Mm. and don't have to be a big, you know, use big fancy words. Sometimes I see people. If I see someone holding placards, my first question to myself is, "Did your mummy and daddy love you enough?"
1: Right? Yeah. yeah. Sure. That's. So you mean that the sense of projection of um, yeah, you feel broken inside, so you have to project, project out because into it's the more world. Painful. Yes. And yeah.
0: Ma- I've, I've quite a few clients hmm. who have had transformative experiences that were spiritual. You know, nothing to do with psychedelics. Y- yeah. And. <laughs> they become more circumspect about the causes that they held so
1: mm, duckedly, you know, yeah. as
0: Stephen Fry said hold your views lightly you yes. know, they become there's a lighter touch mm. if someone comes in hot, hot and heavy about anything in particular yeah. my, myself included my first yeah. question is who hurt people hurt people hurt, where you know where's, where's that wound yeah, where's
1: the pain well, hold it lightly is, is a massive part of our priming as well, actually, because of the experience, you know, it's, they can be quite symbolic and people can, you know, um, we say, please don't do anything based on this experience, you know, <laughs> um, and I think holding it lightly is, is incredibly important. Especially with psychedelics, you know, because they can be so epic and transformative, but, you know, they're not direct instructions to do anything in particular.
0: Yeah, you don't need to move to Nevada no, and divorce no. your no. wife. And, uh, yeah, yeah to, What stuff has, again, conscious of people's uh, confidentiality, but are there themes along that where people will have very, not impulsive is the wrong word, very pressing. Changes that they need to make where your instinct is to sort of go, okay, let's, you know, Mm -hmm. see how you feel. Let's sleep on that one. Is there anything that comes up?
1: Um, I mean, I think uh, not one of my participants, but a participant did, you know, leave his partner. Um, But I think that was already in the mix anyway, so that, you know, and I don't think we did. I think we did encourage him to hold back, hold back on that. And then, you know, a couple of months later, he did. So, um, he found the experience very transformative and and wrote a great deal. I think he's almost written a book about his experience. So, um, yeah, and there have have been, people have been very inspired, like to go back to art school. I had one um, participant very early on who rediscovered her creative writing. She was a writer, but it was, she'd lost her creativity and it was almost as if she found that creative part of her writing. So she was very good at the kind of very rational, logical, but she'd lost her creative voice. Mm-hmm. And she kind of went, you know, she, we encourage people to bring objects in to kind of help with intention. And she brought a pen in and she, yeah, she was like, I've found my creative voice. And yeah, that was, again, really lovely to witness. I think she brought a guitar in. That. <laughs> I was playing the guitar at some point in the experience <laughs> as well. So yeah, it, I mean, it's that creative blossoming it is also wonderful to um, to witness. But I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure um, that anybody has, I, and I think maybe that's probably because of the way we prepare. So we do very much, you know, hold it lightly is something we do encourage. Um, yes, and I think, yeah, it is interesting. People's, I suppose, conditioning and views and perspectives can get shaken, shaken up, but hopefully, um, you know, through the integration, we kind of allow and, and help them find maybe whether it's new beliefs or, or new values. I think the way we look at it is how can you live a life that resonates more with the values that you hold, you know, and, and it's not that we're trying to give them those values. We try and create the space that they can recognize them through, through their experience.
0: Mm -hmm. And then... It's up to you, it's up to your life to manifest who does and doesn't yep. resonate the same, yes, Who's in harmony yep. or in singing yep. the same note as yep. you. I'm sure that can be quite painful when people mm. do come to those interpersonal realizations.
1: Yes, yes, they, yeah, I think there there have, yeah, been instances, um, yeah, where I think participants have recognized that, you know, they've subscribed maybe to the conditioning or the beliefs of a family member, which have been toxic for them. And, and you know, it's it's being able to kind of throw that off, um, but at the same time still have compassion, you know. And I think often the psychedelic experience can help. You can see that it still came from a place of love, but it really didn't work for you, you know, that, that, that belief for... You know, the fact that they wanted you to take antidepressants and thought that that was the best thing for you. And then, you know, um, yeah, and one particular p- participant recognized that it, it still came from a place of love, but it really wasn't working for her. So it's that that's a kind of quite a difficult place to be in recognizing that someone loved you, but the way they loved you was not kind of healthy for you.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to, having to tease those things apart as mm-hmm. is a, is a bit mm-hmm. of a lifetime. Mm-hmm project yeah we touched on on the integration process what's that look like in in current trials
1: so we um the day after the experience we have like one and a half hours two hours of um just really asking so on the day of the um dosing we you know we we can leaves the participant to have their experience they don't really need to report massively back to us obviously a lot of them do but the day after we encourage them to just in as much detail as possible kind of go through their experience and we understand that it's all over the place but in that process and in that kind of retelling it's just giving them space and witnessing their experience and helping them or, or hoping that they find meaning interpretations or or to actually just let it unfold still because that integration process is an on- ongoing um, ongoing process so um, and then we might you know if, if they've had a profound insight or realise that they want you know they want more because one of the questions we ask for intention is what what would you like more of in your life so if it's like more art more creativity, you know, what small thing can you do in the next couple of weeks because I suppose we see The two to three weeks after as being very you're, you're more open because mm-hmm. the experience is still unfolding More neuroplastic. So we do encourage if possible, you know go for those walks in nature Take up that I don't know playing that instrument if there's been a thing that you've been wanting to do now You've got this impetus to, to, to do so you um, and so we we will sit together and we will just explore their experience and see what emerges. And then, our, you know, I talk to them a week after and they have the potential of three Skype calls. Um, and then after the trial, we also have aftercare. So Ashley, one of the team members, um, can offer mindfulness. And we, we also offer... I also hold an integration group um, mm-hmm. with Roz. In fact, Greg used to do the first integration group with myself and Roz, which has been going for about two years so all participants can come to that for free but it's just open to anyone so that that's held once a month in East London um, and that that happened as a result of um, myself and Ros uh, recognising that integration was key and that that really you know beyond the trial people still may need to and sharing it with a group kind of normalizes the experience and destigmatizes it especially if you've come you know if you don't have around you a culture or a family that understand or have any sense of the psychedelic experience to take that really profound experience and have no one to talk to it about can also yeah it can be quite well it's just not a great way to kind of make use of the experience
0: if i would imagine that that uh, uh collision with the your reality mm. that hasn't really ostensibly changed since yes. you've been on this massive trip it's a bit like you know uh going back back to the shire the shire yes. is the same but yeah. you've been to all these yeah. different places mm. um i would imagine that people feel it's almost like a petty more there's a sadness that's maybe yes. more embodied for the first yeah. time because they don't they've they understood this the distractive mechanisms aren't serving them yeah. you feel it more and potentially more of a, a different a subtly different disconnect from their yeah. their lives that they left. Yeah. does that happen? How does that come up?
1: Yeah, no, I do. I do think um, people, yes, they do get very attached to the team, and you know, okay. and I think the aftercare has become as an addition from the first trial. We've, we we recognise the aftercare and the integration group, so to to kind of help people gently land mm-hmm. um, the experience um, and. And then to reconnect, I mean, it's kind of fine if you're from London because there are opportunities. But if you're from Yorkshire or somewhere, then yeah, then there there isn't much. um, uh, But you know, I think we are hoping or there is very much a sense because i know there are pl- people spotted all over that are wanting to start integration groups and i think it would be marvelous if, if uh-huh. that could become more nationwide because i think it's i think it really helps support it
0: uh, on that topic that as i'm sure you do is a question i get asked very frequently which is by therapists you know how can i get involved mm. is a question i'm sure you get you have to feel quite a bit
1: yeah and then
0: the people who have gone involved, their stories like yours <laughs> are quite, you know, I don't know if that's going to scale or replicate.
1: No, I know. Um, I do get asked after conferences and um, um, quite often and I feel awful because it, uh, my route is by no means traditional by any sense and it's not easy to replicate. Um, but, yeah, I think coming to these integration groups and uh, I think myself and Ros... We'll eventually try and f- start to formulate some therapeutic training at some point. That's something that we're mindful of. Um, so I think that will definitely happen. And we did. We had a um, we had a weekend, an integration weekend in Embercombe which was like a little that was e- experimental for us. We were just trying the ACE therapy model with you know, and so for people who'd had experiences, and that was very good because we could try lots of different um activities and sharing and yeah some people found that we had a few participants from the trial come and i think they thoroughly en- enjoyed that again kept them back in touch with it all but um i suppose it's it's getting a therapeutic training really and going to breaking you know my, i think breaking convention really helps <laughs> going there Network, talking n- <laughs> networking word, yeah. you know what i mean like
0: connecting yeah, with other yeah just connecting like, and
1: um yeah coming to but i i I hope because i mean according to ben Sessa he thinks this this will be a treatment five years so who knows so Mm -hmm. if that's the case we're going to need lots and lots of therapists to but i think you know for me i again i've read lots and lots of books i listen to the you know i'm constantly interested in it so whilst there's no formal way perhaps of getting involved right now i think learn as much as you can Mm -hmm. about it And maybe, you know, do your own inner work as well. People can go, you know, I think that's really important in terms of knowing the terrain and developing presence, kind of, as you do for therapeutic training, you know, you have to have the therapy. So I don't know whether it's going to retreats in Amsterdam or or even holotropic breathwork. That's something that we've done as a team twice. And that's really a a really good way of um, knowing, you know, the altered states knowing what it's like to be in that situation
0: uh, that not necessarily that peak but the the massif somewhere you understand the, yeah. the, the that's um great and there are a couple of things that i will almost like bookmark here for people listening is there are i always put very detailed associated show notes mm. and i will link to the different places where you can legally go and yes. experience this yeah. and a lot of the terms which are coming up are in the show notes. So for example, if you want to know unpack what the ace model is, there will be links to things you yeah. know, there's talks that I know Ross has given at breaking convention. So unfortunately there isn't uh, a conventional, you know, A to B to see that there and that will standardise as every every field has its yeah. its sort of embryonic in- incubation phase mm-hmm. and then it becomes codified and and then re- reinvents it, re- reinvigorates itself. So um that is something which you hear a lot you can sort of cobble together knowledge and the self work i think is probably be your first client yes exactly yeah
1: i think being willing (laughs) to go to those those places is is really important and, and very crucial in terms of um developing presence and authenticity which you know are really key to to sitting or guiding people
0: yeah um where would you suggest people to find out if they wanted to find out more about your practice and your work we haven't delved that much into that but i'd like to give people the opportunity to learn mm. a little bit more
1: um so i just have a website which is michelle at uk. um what else am i uh
0: Maybe the integration group. I Oh, yes, of you. course,
1: the integration group, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, which happens. So that's got a Facebook page, um, and that happens kind of the last Friday of every month. Um, so if you look up psychedelic integration, I can't remember what the address, maybe we, I can give you that, yeah. um, for that is. So that's a good place to come. And also, actually, um, if there are therapists out there who are willing to um, talk to people about their psychedelic experiences Mm -hmm. and are familiar with you know Jungian analysis and archetypes and can do that then we there's a a network called the trip network and Mm -hmm. i think being willing to put your name on that because i think we do need you know because i'm inundated with requests for psychedelic integration so if there are therapists who are willing to talk about psychedelics and feel confident enough then um yeah do look up the trip network and Mm -hmm. volunteer to be one of the people on that because that's that's definitely a way into so like helping people process their psychedelic experiences and we need therapists who are just not afraid to talk about and explore these experiences mm-hmm. i think that will make a huge difference
0: yeah people gonna <coughs> start coming out of the coming out of the psychedelic and professional <laughs> closet but yeah t-r-i it's p-t-r-i-p-p yeah. network yeah and you can um start to a Handle on who's who and where people are, and there's telecounseling, I think, will play a big role in this as well. Yes, yeah. Uh, so if you're remote, you don't need to rush to to London necessarily. To no,
1: I do. I mean, I do a few s- uh, Skype integration sessions for, with people, yeah, from mm. all over. So, mm. yeah, that's definitely uh, a process too.
0: You can be involved and you can stay put. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, thank you so much for your time. I'm very, very grateful for your time, and uh, I wish all the best with the trial and I hope that um, first and foremost the people who are in the trial get what they need out of it and then they should be very proud of themselves because they're generating uh, some information and science that is potentially going to be very groundbreaking so thank you for all your work
1: oh you're, you're welcome and, and actually one one final thing is there is a drug science podcast that i'm on with one of my participants so that might be a really nice way to get another insight into how it works coming from my perspective and a participant's perspective so that's mm-hmm. david
0: Nutt's drug science podcast right a little bit more context and i'm hopefully trying to join the dots so people get a Who's who of, of how, how these things mm. are sort of working and where they, they can potentially fit and help. So thank you so much for. Your time.
1: You're welcome, thanks now. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. All of the various links are included in the show notes just head to the podcast section of the mindmanifestpodcast.com website and all the resources that we have discussed in this chat are available there. I would especially refer therapists to check this out as lockdown is an ideal time to read and listen as widely as you can. So have a look through the podcast back catalogue also as several of the people mentioned in this episode are former guests. And also, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps me out with rankings. If you have any suggestions for guests or people you would like to hear us chat to, then please get in touch with me on Twitter at Mind Manifest Podcast or just through the website. And until next time, take care.